0: Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up? What's good, everyone? Listen, welcome to another brand new episode of the world-famous Behind the Baller podcast. We are coming to you live from the 305. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are in Dade County. We are recording this show live and direct in Miami Beach, Florida. Man, the vibes out here are truly impeccable. We have another museum-quality podcast coming to you right now and that is all due and all praise to the dust brothers aka the podcast producers of the year this show does not happen without miles davis and jordan winter high definition professional podcasting that's all we give you guys that's it and yo by the way guys i am your host ben baller not ben humble aka the korean harry higgs if you don't know who harry higgs is you better find the fuck out, okay? Yes, I am the wash lord. Yes, I am Odae Sue. Yes, I am the Korean John Cusack. But right now, let's get this motherfucking show started. Today's episode is special, y'all. This is the episode I've been talking about for a while stopped doing interviews for a bit, and I know that's a hack, and it does well, but that's not what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? You guys get me, you know, solo dolo on that ass, but we got my man Ryan from True Classic for everyone who owns a brand, a t-shirt company, a, a clothing brand, trying to start a company, whatever it may be. Yo, my man Ryan is dropping bombs. And I mean, for real. And I ain't talking about them Kim Jong Un bonds, okay? He's dropping them real He's dropping them motherfucking Aaron Judge bombs. Like He is really spitting games. It's probably one of the best interviews I've ever done, and there's so much information that I want you guys to get. But I'm out here for Art Basel. I am out here for the Maubon Golf Tournament. We will talk about that in a little bit. This is such an important interview. I'm going to go into a commercial break real quick, and then we're going to get right in to this interview with Ryan from True Classic. You hear Lakey Lake in the background right there, okay? All right, Miles. let's get to these commercials. We'll be right back. You know sports, and you pick winners all the time. So why not get paid for them at MyBookie? MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests for all your sports betting needs, anytime, anywhere. Bet on NFL, NCAA, or swing for the fences with the brand new money bag. The MyBookie money bag is a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity to spin for crazy odds on props and futures. Just place your bet, spin the wheel, and get ready for some epic odds on the best teams, athletes, and events. Sign up for free, use promo code BENBALLER, and claim a deposit match of any amount up to $1,000. Again, that's promo code BENBALLER to claim your deposit and give yourself the competitive edge. It's not just sportsbook, it's a community. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Yo, yo, what up, BTB Army? We got Ryan Bartlett, founder and CEO of True Classic. True Classic is a clothing company with the best high-quality and slim-fitting T-shirts in the game. It all started with one T-shirt with six colors and turned into a company that in three years has helped bring in over $250 million in revenue where the original investment was $3 thousand dollars i will smack you best part is he is btb army and we are going in depth today yo ryan what's good man how are you where are you
1: good man i'm good i'm in calabasas i'm excited man i'm a big fan of this podcast so this is like uh this is a dream come true for me
0: <laughs> oh man and you know the funny thing is i've really been on this shit where there's every week there's guests that want to come on and there's guests that want to do stuff And I've just been pushing guests back, pushing guests back. And it's like, you know, um, we got connected through my boy, Frankie Delgado, who I've known for a long time, right? And I've spoken about this on the show. But how did you and Frankie link up?
1: So we started working together um, through one of the guys that does some content for us. He was friends with them. And I started seeing that Frankie was just like the guy to know, essentially, in the industry. He's just the plug into absolutely everything. So we just linked up and I found out that he was a big True Classic guy. So once I found that out, I was like, all right, let's try to figure out how we can do some business together. He came down to the office and met us. He He's a super cool guy. And he's just been linking me up with people like you and just people around the industry. He's just, you know, spread the good word about True Classic.
0: It's crazy. Um, I know known Frankie for 20 years and Frankie has always been plugged in. And it's funny because we became a lot closer because all our kids go to school with his kids So all our kids, you know, mutually go to the same school. And um, we became closer because of that. But then at the same time, we have very, very close mutual friends outside of that. And we're close friends. So it's just kind of just crazy how this all came through. So I heard through the grapevine that you're a listener of Behind the Baller. What made you want to subscribe? And like, what's your favorite thing about the podcast?
1: I mean, honestly, we have a very similar background with starting out in the music industry and then working your way later in life into business. And I, it, when I heard those uh, those original, what was it, like the original tapes or whatever you called it, like the the behind the... Uh, the, the K-Ton Hustle pick. series, yeah. Yes. Dude, that one was on... That one gave me chills when I would listen to it because just so much of like being in the music industry, it just reminded me of those times and how tough it was and how you know, ultimately I wanted to be a music producer and work with Dr. Dre and you were really living that life. So I just, you know, so much of it was, was similar to my story early on. And then you kind of evolving into business and, and growing this monster empire of yours. It's just, you know, it's a really inspiring story from my end coming from that, that music. So I just, I love your story. I just think it's great.
0: Wait a second. Hold on. Cause I had another question, but hold on, wait, listen, what did you do in the music business? I didn't know this.
1: So that's what I went to school for. So originally I went to school for music production, audio engineering. I flunked out of Michigan state when I went there my first year. And I realized I was not ready for that kind of school. So I went to music school and um, got in there, got my degrees and then went to Atlanta thinking I was going to Come out and work with Outcasts, and it was all just going to be like <laughs> on the up and up from there. But uh, it was brutal; it was absolutely brutal living in Atlanta and working in the music industry. And I was basically cleaning toilets. I mean, you know how it is when you're like starting out in the music; it's just they just run you absolutely ragged. So I did that. But what I ended up doing was actually just playing piano in restaurants, Italian restaurants to be specific, just to make ends meet and make any amount of money I could. And then I was also making money uh, just being like a studio musician. So Like, you know how the producers, um, a lot of them are just really like drum programmers and audio engineers. So I would come in and I would play, you know, piano, uh, guitar, drums, and I would would lay down, you know, layers for them. And essentially, they'd they'd kick me like 50 bucks and I'd be on my way. But, you know, I, I just could not make enough money to really sustain myself in the music industry. And so I started looking at other things.
0: You know, it's funny, guys. I want you to understand something real quick. This is a sidebar. I met so many talented producers or musicians throughout the years of my music career. And when I'd be in the studio with Dre, he'd bring a guitar person in. He'd bring this dude named Kamara who ended up scoring films. And he was just incredible. He could fucking conduct an orchestra, like do the whole Beethoven shit with the fucking fingers and the hands and everything. And then like one day, like Dre was gone for four hours. And I was like, bro, why the fuck are you not producing records and certain things? And these people had the capability. They just didn't understand some of the mindset. And this is what they needed to do on the journey along and get maybe more experience under their belt until they figured or maybe got the confidence to do it. And some did, some didn't. You know, some guys end up working at Guitar Center, some people end up waiting tables, some people work at Target. And then some of them did overcome that shit. So that's, it's crazy. Sometimes you just gotta get in where you fit in.
1: Weirdly enough though, the music actually paid massive dividends later in life because I use creativity in absolutely every aspect of the business now. So even though it didn't directly make any money for me originally, you wouldn't believe how many times I'm sitting in a meeting where everyone's beating their head against the wall. Like I had this contract negotiating with Spotify the other day where we're renegotiating uh, our contract with um, with Rogan. And because um, we're, we're on there as an advertiser and they literally went back and forth for about an hour. And I came into the meeting and I just tried to kind of reverse engineer what they wanted out of the deal. So I literally asked them, like, how are you incentivizing this deal? How do you make your money on this deal? What numbers are you trying to hit so that we're aligned and both incentivized to make this work? And once they told me, the whole deal just completely fell into both of our hands and it made more sense for both of us. And had I not just had that little bit of creativity on that meeting, it's just, it's those moments where it just, it really plays into the kind of creative and ads that we produce for people or for the brand. And uh, it all plays a big part now, later in life.
0: You know, it's crazy what you just said. Fucked me up. I felt like I made a lot of moves in the music business and they might've been, Whatever then, they could have been mediocre, big, small. I think 20 years plus later is when they paid off. Like the podcast, other shit, the stories, all that shit that was archived into my memory bank and then spewed out later on podcasts and stories, that shit is priceless. So you're super correct on that. Um, So tell me, where'd you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be Dr. Dre. I I wanted to... uh... I wanted to do something in music. I I grew up in northern Michigan, so a little town called Cadillac. It's like three hours north of Detroit. Really small town, beautiful people, pretty poor town, though. Not a lot going on. One movie theater, five restaurants, you know, like really, really small town shit. So, you know, we had to really fend for ourselves out there. There wasn't a lot to do. So I was reckless as a kid. I was a little wild, got in a lot of trouble, um just you know when there's nothing to do you just end up doing the worst you basically you know you start creating like uh parties in the woods and like you just try to do anything you could to find time to like have fun i mean it was just it was madness growing up but super cold nine months out of the year there's snow so it's brutal so a lot of ice hockey a lot of ice hockey and downhill skiing for me so wait a second
0: hold on Uh, cadillac michigan Never heard it before, right? I'm not the greatest person with geography and, and especially in America. I mean, I know the popular places, but like I used to hang out with Floyd Mayweather a lot and I went to Grand Rapids for the first time. That's like more south, right?
1: Yeah. Grand Rapids is about two hours south of Cadillac.
0: So you guys are closer to, to Canada then?
1: Yeah, we're, we're close to like Traverse City. We're we're up in the upper part of the mitten, basically. Like if I had to point out on my hand, I could show you, but it's... Uh...
0: I mean, How far from the Great Lakes are you?
1: I would say, like, an hour east
0: that's of, not, like, like, yeah. Dude, an hour's not... Bro, I drive two hours and plus to go to San Diego, and it's like... I couldn't imagine driving an hour and going to see the fucking... Something so magnificent. But, I mean, again, I, I don't think I could live in the Midwest, bro.
1: It's freezing cold, though. You really don't want to go see, like, Michigan. It's it's just an absolute icebox forever. It's just... Yeah, that's why I got out of there as soon as I could.
0: <laughs> so Okay, so you grew up in Michigan, and now you're in Los Angeles, right? Were there any no, stops?
1: No, uh, There's a lot of steps before that. I went from Michigan to Florida and then went to Atlanta, then went to Vegas, then went back to Florida, then went to LA.
0: Wait, so what were you doing in Florida?
1: That's where the school was. That's where, uh, that's where the music
0: school was. Okay. okay hold on. Stop. Hold on. You went to Florida, then Atlanta, and then you went back to Florida.
1: So I went to Vegas for a couple of years and, um, Yeah, I left Atlanta because I thought I was going to be a professional poker player because I was making (laughs) no money from music. So I'm like, all my friends are making poker money. So I'm like, I got to learn this. This is like Chris Moneymaker days too. This is when it was like the heyday of poker in the World Series of Poker. So I started making some good money playing poker and I thought, oh, I'll just do this for a living. This is easy, right? I'll just follow the money and uh, moved out to Vegas and went broke in like three months. So that was uh, the end of my poker career. And uh, I got in the nightclub industry, started working at the bank nightclub at the Bellagio. Things really started turning around for me. Uh, I went you know completely broke for a while though while I was out there. One crazy story about Vegas is that when this is how I made money for about two months because I had nothing to my name. Uh, I basically would walk up and down the strip every single night from about 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I would try to convince people to get into the limos, to take them to the strip clubs because the limo drivers got kicked back, right? So they would kick me back like 25 bucks, 50 bucks a person. I did that for literally months, walking up and down the strip. It was insane, dude, but I was hustling and I was finding a way ultimately, so.
0: By the way, bro, um, shout out to my dog, Nam. It's definitely a World Series poker wristband winner. Um, back and that just reminds me of all that fucking crazy ass days of playing poker and all them Vietnamese motherfuckers that I knew shot my boy too quick he was a beast at the Bellagio poker room and just wow the bank I hosted a fucking night there I remember they had one of my first billboards Jesus Christ so when you came to LA what were you doing in Los Angeles to make ends meet
1: I was struggling man I, I had no money I was basically spending whatever amount of student debt that I had left and I could not get hired anywhere and I had Keep in mind, I had a bachelor's degree and an and associate's in audio engineering, so I thought coming to LA was going to be super easy for me. I thought they were, uh, yeah, I was going to be able to walk into any studio and just start working, and that wasn't the case. They had 20 people just like me already interning at the studios, making no money, so I needed something that paid. So, fortunately, I had a lot of computer science skills, so like web development, uh, design, um, front-end design, and writing, graphic design, all that good stuff. So, I got a job at a SEO company and uh, after all, uh, probably like eight months of trying to do anything in LA and um, and that really started it for me. I, I got a good job there. I was I was working and figuring out that like really the money was in the acquisition, which was getting people to the website essentially. And um, once I figured that out, I started kind of building my own SEO company on the side. And um, but as I was doing that job, I actually got a call from a famous music producer who needed uh, someone with my skill set. So I kind of quit that job and was like, oh, I'll get back into the music industry. I'm finally going to catch my break. (laughs) And so my first day on the job, and I can't say who it is because he'll probably try to sue me, but um, I was literally a taxi driver. Like I got the first day to the job. I thought this was going to be the best day of my life. And he's like, all right, wait in the car. And I'm like looking around like, All right, when do I go in the studio? And like literally sat my ass in the car for like hours. And I realized, I was like, wow, this is not it for me. This is brutal. But I did it for like probably nine months. I just like ate shit and sat there and took it and and did whatever he told me to do. But uh, he treated everyone around him like shit. And I was just like, I hated this industry. So that was kind of the end of my music industry. I was like, I'm giving up on it. I tried, I went back, it didn't work. I'm gonna move on this SEO stuff. This was already working for me. And, uh, yeah, it was brutal. Dude. I have so many bad stories about that,
0: but Jesus Christ, man, we have, we might be fucking twins, man. Lord have mercy. You got me fucking PTSD thinking about just working with people. Um, so what was it that drew you to the peril game? Like, wh- what did you think that you could do to stand out that was already out there?
1: I mean, it really happened organically. I think ultimately I knew I wanted to get into e-com. I knew I had, I had all the skill set for ecom. I knew I had, you know, like I had put in my 10,000 hours, I had 10,000 hours into, you know, digital marketing, 10,000 hours into music and creativity, which all played a part. And then um, even with the poker, like that poker 10,000 hours played into, you know, understanding, you know, high risk tolerance and how to really bet on yourself and more importantly, how to fail a million times over. If you know anything about poker, you're predominantly failing in that game right so i learned to kind of fail and move on and and just kind of eat it but um the apparel thing came up is because i was kind of winding down on my agency and i wanted to get into e-com and i just kept running into this issue with t-shirts where i just felt like i felt like nobody was really being intentional And that's really the main theme of our entire company is intentionality. And I just felt like guys were kind of being neglected in this space and that the really good shirts that were out there, the high quality, the James Purse of the world, you know, they were just charging like 60, 70, 80 bucks a tee. And I just thought there's got to be kind of that middle ground where, you know, you're not the Hanes and you're not the Gildan, but you're not the James Purse. You're kind of right in that middle area. And I started it with just a few SKUs And yeah, it really kind of blew up in that first month. And that was, you know, as a side project, essentially. And then it became my full-time job very, very quickly once I realized, you know, this was a real gig.
0: Well, by the way, guys, you remember in the K-Town Hustlers series I talked about, I went to high school with James Purse and we grew up, his dad, Tommy Purse owned, uh, Maxfield still does. And, uh, you know, uh, I haven't seen James in forever. I ran into him um, right during like the height of his shit. And it's crazy where that goes. And you guys know, I have dabbled in the apparel game many times. And um, what he's saying is true. You know, um, I could look at a Saint Laurent shirt and I do understand the stitching is different. I do understand the cotton is different. There are brands who don't give a fuck and have still become very successful. Cough, uh, uh, Aug, V-Loan, which uh, I'm part of. And, um, you know, we've been able to anti-social club. I just mentioned recently where it's just Lily Gildan. And, you know, they're... 250 bucks and it's just like outlandish but you know that's again marketing and i don't know what the sustainability is and the longevity but we're running with it but when you really think about a james purse t-shirt and you realize that this guy made a shirt that felt better than polo and he had the price to match it and then you go and touch like a burberry t-shirt and you're just kind of trying to really figure out where the fuck is the difference and you really have some people just don't care when you feel true classic you understand what he's talking about because i could touch a True Classic shirt, I could touch a James Purse, and the only thing that would separate it, and this is 0.2 percentile, they're going to tell the difference, is the wash. So I prefer the True Classic on certain days, but when I want to feel like I'm some rich asshole and in my fucking McLaren, I'd understand where that James Purse t-shirt comes into play, but I'm telling you again, it's it's a very, very, very small you know, community of people who are gonna stand the wash and the way something's looked. And sometimes it's, it, this is a whole nother fucking conversation, but what he's saying is so essential for all of you guys, because I have people who message me all the time and say, hey, I wanna start an apparel brand, and I wanna talk them out of it. I almost tell motherfuckers again in the restaurant business before that, because it's just like, dude, everyone had, you know, you know, like, you have to understand a clothing brand and having a t shirt brand are two totally different things when you have cut and sew and other shit. So, what this man has done. Is just and we're gonna get more into it, sorry. But okay, so with your digital marketing background and SEO skill set, can you explain to the BTB army about like what's the most important aspects of that that need to be implemented for you know our own and their own businesses?
1: Yeah. You really only need a couple things to be honest. I mean, if you can learn to run Facebook ads, that's enough in itself. Really, Facebook ads are the absolute game changer for small businesses, because what Facebook allows you to do is essentially take a product, put it in a testing environment for a very low cost, see if people gravitate towards it. If they do, you can essentially just keep scaling the budgets to the moon, and that AI conversion that Facebook has done such an unbelievable job of developing takes over and does all the marketing for you. So that's kind of the beauty is this thing is you really don't need to know SEO and digital marketing that well anymore. You just got to get some chops on Facebook ads learn how to run Google ads. And between the two of those platforms, that's all the prospecting you really need to see if you have a real brand or not. And if you test it and you put it out in the world and people aren't buying it, then it's you. It's not the platform. It's not Facebook's fault that your shitty creative isn't working. It's just that you haven't done the work to create the kind of creative that resonates with people. So I think people get lost in this whole like, well, this platform works, this one doesn't. No, 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 they all work. But you have to do the work to create some amazing, compelling content and be super intentional about what you're doing and showing to the customer instead of just trying to throw a T-shirt on and say, hey, this is my brand now. Because ultimately, that's what separates everybody who creates a product. You have to solve a problem, right? You have to, And, and I solved two problems with True Classic. I solved the fit problem, which made things fit better for guys given how their bodies are shaped. And I solved the price problem. So you find a way to solve one or two problems, then you're going to be onto to something. But if you just think you're going to slap a logo on a shirt and push it to the moon, like those days are long gone. As you said, like you try to talk people out of apparel. I do the exact same thing. In fact, I have friends that are trying to start apparel brands now because of me. And they're like, hey, I know that guy. And, and he, he's not that smart. I'm smarter than him. And, and I'm, I'm really not that smart. Right. But I'm I'm super creative. I'm really intentional about what I do. I put in the work, I put in the hours, and that's the difference. And everyone just sees the success and thinks, oh, I'll just start a clothing brand. It's super easy. But um, if you're not coming at it from the problem-solving lens or the intentionality lens, it's gonna be a rough road.
0: Okay, so you know what? This is a question I just came up with right now. Sometimes I'm on my fucking browser on my phone, and let's say, for instance, um, I see like Taylor-made Golf, right? And I click on it. And then all the fucking sudden, whether I go on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, as soon as I go on there, a tailor-made ad pulls up on Twitter, pulls up on Facebook. Can you explain to people how the fuck that happens? It's not magic, right? Like,
1: no. what, what's Yeah, that's on? just retargeting. That's just retargeting, essentially. Retargeting is, is important because retargeting basically helps you optimize for the ad experience. If you didn't have retargeting, then you'd just be seeing random ads about, you know, like anything and every product that would make no sense to who you are. But essentially, retargeting changed the game. And what they did was they noticed that if you're putting interest in this website, or you're talking about this and your phone picks up on that, we're going to try to curate the experience for you and only show you ads with things that you're interested in. So I know people think it's super intrusive, but it actually helps the buying experience
0: tremendously. No, no but how does that happen? Like, how can I, how the fuck do they know it's I'm clicking... It, it, it's, it, cookies. How does the it's cookies. How does the cookies migrate over to social?
1: I don't know, man. I'm not that smart. You got to ask a <laughs> Facebook engineer. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. So true classic. Who came up with that name and how did it all begin? What was the first year like?
1: So I came up with the name. I came up with the IP. I designed the logo. I came up with the website. I, had, I pretty much had the whole thing packaged up and ready to go. And, um, I was ready to launch it. And then I realized this is going to be way too much. If it works, it's going to be too much for me. And um, so I called my buddy, Matt, who was a good family friend of mine. I said, hey, who do you know in the apparel business that can help me kind of, you know, bring this thing to fruition? And um, he just said, I got the perfect guy for you. And that was Nick Ventura, who's one of my co-founders, who had who just sold his apparel business probably a year prior to me starting this. So it was just really the perfect timing that I met him and he could come in and and I didn't know really anything about manufacturing. I didn't understand how to negotiate with manufacturers, how to get credit terms, how to get better deals with them. I didn't really understand clothing composition, what it takes to really make a shirt soft and great and, and the stitching correctly. So yeah, it really kicked off And I had the most expensive equity call of my entire life that first night when I met Nick and I essentially chopped up the equity right there. And, and, uh, we figured out the deal on the phone and uh, I had no idea how much I was Giving away of the company at that time, but uh, you know, it is what it is, and he's been unbelievable for the company, obviously. And then Matt ended up joining, he's more on the finance tech startup side. So we just had really the perfect DNA between the three of us. I was like everything marketing, Nick was everything apparel, and Matt was everything finance. And the three of us probably did the work of 15 to 18 people for the first nine months of the company, and that's why we were able to start it with no money. You know, normally you have to raise money you have to invest in the company but since we were just not even taking a paycheck because we already had you know we, we had checks coming in from our other stuff we were fine just like keeping the company insanely lean and never raising money which is in my opinion the best way to build a company is just keep rolling over the profits into the business and just keep you know putting the money back to work for you on new customer acquisition.
0: So, guys, listen to me really quickly. It's very important. I announced last week that I'm starting a new company. This is an adventure where I've I've failed, not by accident, not on purpose, but you know, you could have a, a. I've said this many times. You could be very successful at what you do, whether it be singing, whether it be sports or anything. You could be one of the best players in the world. It does not mean that's going to translate to sex in the professional, um, to success. I said sex in the professional world. And now with everything that I know, there are ways. I know how to approach this thing. And I know it's going to do well just because of what I got going on. But one important thing he said was staying lean. And because I can afford to live off my sponsors, live off other things, I have jewelry, I have cannabis, other shit, it is so fucking important to just not take that paycheck. And what I'm going to ask him next is so fucking crucial. I can't tell you that I'll smack you across the mouth. You didn't want to go the investor route and you haven't at all. Can you explain to me how and why that has been so beneficial to your company?
1: Well, so I succeeded with my other company, SEO Direct. I succeeded without getting backing there either. So I really knew no other way. I was just like, you know what? I don't want to go in debt. I don't want to be fighting an uphill battle. Plus what people don't realize is when you take on money, now you have a boss. Right now, you have to answer to those VCs. You got to get on weekly board meeting calls with a bunch of old white men, and they're going to tell you how to run the business. It's a nightmare. You don't want to get into that. It's much easier to just start small, start with no amount of money, invest a little bit into advertising. If it works, you keep rolling it over and you keep building the business that way on the backbone of Facebook, Google, and email. So it's just, it's always a dead end for all the people that I know in, in tech. I mean look at what's happening to a lot of the tech environment. They're just laying people off by, you know, tens of thousands of people. They're completely overbloated and um, and they're trying to cut their opex in half so that they can actually be profitable again. So it's kind of never ending when you start going that route and you start hiring too fast. You know, in a world where everyone is firing right now, we're still hiring. We're still and that's only because our opex is insanely low in the big scheme of things compared to other companies. So I just can't stress how important it is. Plus, you just don't need that added pressure. Wouldn't you rather just start a small company and grow it small versus you know go to the moon overnight and then have to sustain that and have all this added pressure from everybody around you with a huge staff that's looking at you and saying, hey, you're supposed to make this work. It's just it's going to create a bad environment for a lot of people. I mean, anyone will tell you in the tech industry that's how a lot of those businesses are run, and they live and die by that VC money. And as soon as that money runs out, uh, you gotta figure out how to make a real business out of what you created, not just a cash-burning
0: machine. I mean, bro, listen, you spitting facts. IF & Co is currently about 28, 30 employees, got 17 guys in the factory. Every single person in the factory, there's different people. I, I, I pay someone $3 an hour to set diamonds. He might set 300 diamonds in a day. Go ahead and do the math on that, okay? This motherfucker, 300 fucking stones in a day, right? And realistically, some of these guys could literally be setting thousands of stones, you know, uh, these guys just on just labor, could make 25 grand, 30, 40, 50 grand. Some of these guys, they get a ball of shivis or a ball of Crown Royal, a carton of cigarettes, and they're there sometimes for 12, 13 hours, and they have keys to the office. And I'm just telling you guys, you don't need to have a shit ton of people. I see companies with 300, four. Look at Twitter, 7,000, down to 3,500. By the holidays, they're going to be at 1,500 people. And I know Elon cut a lot of fat and people are mad at them. And I am too because for other reasons, but they're just running more efficient and it's just something that has to happen. But my second thing is if I can get a job, bro, let me know, man. You know what I'm saying? I got a lot of talent. You know, I'm just. Oh,
1: you're in, bro. <laughs> don't worry. I know. You're a hustler.
0: Oh no for sure. Um, by
1: the way, that's all we hire are people like you who are absolute killers. That's why we're as good as we are as a com- as a complete unit. So, we have a very tight hiring process to that point where they go through many layers, probably like 6 to 7 interviews before it actually gets to me or my, or my president. And it's because culture with us is so insanely important and we got to have people who are ready to bust their ass and work hard. I mean, this is still a startup in the big scheme of things. Yes, we've grown a lot and it's, it's been crazy, but people got to bust their ass. You know, I'm, I'm in here bleeding out my eyes every single day and working weekends and I got three kids under the age of six. So it's real.
0: That's where that gray hair is from, three kids, That's man.
1: exactly. Not the
0: business from the three kids. By the way, guys, if you've not seen the movie Boiler Room, Go watch it now. Stop the interview right now and go watch Boiler Room and just watch the way sales calls go over a phone while eating a bowl of cereal. Like, it's it's real important. I see your ads all over IG, right? Your ads are all over Instagram. They're fucking pretty funny, okay? Who comes up with most of the concepts of those ads?
1: So in the beginning, we were kind of just doing the same thing everyone was doing. We were doing a lot of UGC, a lot of testimonial, a lot of What's side What's UGC, by side. sorry? What's UGC? Uh, user-generated content. So it's basically it's like when you see influencers basically like giving a testimonial. So we used to do a lot of that stuff, but the problem with all that stuff is that everyone's doing it and it's all the same, and everyone uses the same influencers, and it's just it's very uh, it's not genuine to me. So the comedy angle came up where I found these guys. Uh, they go by the name of Greg Tube on TikTok, and they weren't creating any ads for anyone at the time, but I found them. And I was watching their skits and I just thought, God, if they could figure out a way to incorporate you classic into a skit like this, this would be money in the bank because we create an emotional connection with people. They would absolutely just laugh and love it. And that's the kind of ads I wanted to create were ones that just made people happy and were not just trying to shove sales down their throat, essentially. So I, I contacted them. I said, hey, and we worked out a skit and we went back and forth on it. And the first one they did just absolutely crushed and I was, I remember watching the numbers that day and they all went from black to green and the whole, my whole dashboard just lit up. And I was like blown away by the ROAS. So r- ROAS is return on ad spend. It was through the roof. No, our normal ROAS was like probably two to one on your money. So you spend a dollar, make $2. This was like spend a dollar, make $9. And it was like overnight. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I said, oh, it's not about selling anything. It's about just making people laugh and let them decide if they want to buy anything or not. Once I made that mind switch, the whole game changed and we went completely all in on comedy. And now these guys, you know, I pay them a ton of money. They make a ton of skits for us. They always crush. And we um, we now we just work with a ton of different influencers, a lot of comedy related stuff. But. Yeah, the comedy was a game changer and it still it all goes back to intentionality, which I was talking about earlier, which was make things for people to laugh. Don't just make content, to try to sell somebody, make them laugh, create an emotional connection and it's always going to resonate better than any other ad that they're going to see. Because guess what? Comedy is really fucking hard to do. And you have to work really hard at it. And these guys are complete anomalies, these two. They're, they're they can edit, they can produce, they can film, they can write, they do it all. And and that's what the great comedy guys do that I've worked with. They're essentially one man bands. And um it's just it's a game changer, man. I can't, I couldn't do it any other way now.
0: See, guys, listen, man, it is beneficial to use influencers to create commercials, right? Because you have to understand. One of the toughest things I heard Michael Rapport saying, he got me started in podcasting, right? He's been doing stand-up for the last couple of years. Stand-up is probably the most difficult fucking thing to do, let alone translate that into some sort of a skit. And it's difficult. I see the corny shit all the time, the couple shit, whatever. But if it's done the right way, it is amazing. And You see someone like me and people are like, oh man, Ben's ugly. How the fuck he always has a model girl or his wife is bad as hell. You'd be surprised how far you can get with making somebody laugh, right? Especially a girl. So look, if you see some funny shit, Trust me, man, you're underestimating how good and how far, and I'm just realizing this right now, how far comedy could go to sell something. Um, what's your advertising strategy to be able to bring in so many fucking orders?
1: So I'll, I'll break it down for you. So we spend, I mean, we're spending, it's insane. We're spending like, we spent like 230000 yesterday, but we made over 900 yesterday. So you have to spend to make essentially. And we have like a blended ROAS that we kind of live and die by for the business. And um, you essentially, you have to find where your break even ROAS is. So if you have to spec, it, that includes your operational expense and all that. So if you, if you have to, you know, basically get to, let's just say for argument's sake, a two to one to break even, that means you're going to have to get a two and a half or three to one to make a profit essentially. So We spend, so just from top to bottom, Facebook is our number one spend, and that's by far, it's Facebook IG, it's the same thing. Um, And then second to that is Google, which is a completely different ballgame, because that's very search intent based, and people are already looking to buy, so they're coming to Google. And so it's a much easier platform to win on. So you have Facebook, Google, number three would be TikTok, Um, we're spending... You know, probably ten percent of our daily budget on that. It's going pretty well, but it's you know, again, nothing is as good as Facebook, and it probably never will be. But um, so that's really our tried and true for prospecting and retention. So, Facebook, Google, TikTok, and then you know, we spend a little on Amazon. We're on Amazon now. We, we just got on there about a month ago, so we're spending a little money on there. Uh, we spend a little on Bing, but honestly, you don't really need anything else. Like I said. If you can get Facebook and Google, that's all you need for the business to advertise. But I'll say this, the most important to driving EBITDA or net profits for our business, and this is most businesses, is email SMS. That is the entire game of profitability. Because you know what? We actually lose money on first customer acquisition. When we acquire a customer, we lose a couple bucks, which is fine because we're, we're hoping they come back and buy again, right? That's where you make all your money. And that's where email and SMS comes in. And the email is literally the entire game. Like you send an email at our levels and it just prints money because it's a zero dollar acquisition. And you're literally right in their inbox or right in their phone. And they're there to connect with you. And we have such a strong community of buyers and and, and fans of, of True Classic that, you know, everything we put out to them really resonates and it just works so well.
0: Did you hear what the fuck he just said? He said he spent $250,000 yesterday, but he made nine I'm in the wrong fucking business. Okay? <laughs> By the way, guys, what he's saying is very true when he loses money on the first customer. I was at a New Year's Eve party that I was kind of hosting. You know, they gave me like 10 grand to show up for a couple hours. We end up staying because it's New Year's Eve. And usually you know where i'm at these days people are like i don't know why the fuck they care people are like oh ben baller's over here this guy comes over oh dude he's the ceo of uber the founder of uber boom and i'm like i don't give a fuck about this dude and then one night we're chilling and as new year's eve party we're in a very popular nightclub and the head of, well a vice president of marketing at red bull comes over to me we start talking we start chilling and i don't know why i was just interested because i was sponsored by red bull as a dj way back in the day and the guy goes You see, the the club is uh, serving Red Bulls here. And I was like, I might just assume that everyone had Red Bull. And he goes, No, it's not. And he told me for every case of Red Bull that this club is selling, they're losing $50 for every case. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? He goes, bro, I don't give a fuck about none of this shit. We're losing money. He goes, bro, they're going home and buying this shit. They're going to go do this. And it just was so fucking genius the way he broke it down. And it was simpler to what he's saying here with the email transitions and stuff. And, you know, you guys have to listen. I think you might have to listen to this interview twice because he's really spitting game. And it's amazing. I hate Facebook, right? It's like my, my mom's on Facebook. But that he's telling you guys that's the advertising platform that has brought him the most business. So don't, you know, I talk about it a lot and I'm older, right? Don't alienate Facebook. There's fucking money there, you know? What are you most proud of about your journey personally and the journey of True Classic?
1: I'm just proud of what we've built. I'm really proud of the culture we've created internally with the people. I have a strong um, donation background too. my parents were very much into taking care of people and philanthropy. So it's really played into this business. And we're donating like 40 to 50,000 shirts a month around, you know, LA and kind of all over the United States. And I'm just really proud that as the company gets bigger, you just do more good, essentially. And we just keep donating more and, and building houses for people. So I'm just proud of the fact that, putting people first in every aspect has really panned out. You know, who talks a lot about this is Gary Vee. He's always like such a big, put people first in everything and be nice and, and be genuine. And and uh, honestly, I am the perfect framework for that. Everything he preaches about human beings and just intentionality is exactly what I put into practice in every aspect of this business. And I'm just proud that it actually panned out the way it was supposed to, because honestly, I've been able to take market share from all these guys who have been in business for eight, ten years, and we did a hundred million in just two years, and then two fifty in three years. It just goes to show you that it doesn't matter who's out there and what they're doing. You can always do it better. You can always be more intentional. And you can you can take market share from Levi's and Haynes and all these big guys who, you know, were they, they never even considered us for an acquisition a year and a half ago when we talked to them. Now, when our bankers talk to them, they're interested. They want to talk. They want to see our numbers. They want to see, right? Because now we're starting to take a little bit of pie from them. And they don't love it. And they, and they probably are going to try to, one of the strategists will probably try to scoop us up uh, in, the, in the coming years. But uh, you're finally on their radar once you get into the hundreds of millions. So I'm just proud that we're here. We're still moving. We're still growing. And um, I'm just, I'm excited for what we're building
0: god damn bro we got to figure out some sort of btb collab merch because we've been using gildan and shit in triple a and it's like fuck that why don't we give him a better we t-shirt you, and the yeah, funny thing is you. not only a better t-shirt but how about at the right price point because we're just getting fucking cornholed on this shit right um what's it's the... not
1: just tees, by the way we do everything now we, we put out an activewear line this year we put out chinos we put out denim we reimagine denim completely I think denim's going to be one of the, the biggest categories for us. Please but,
0: don't tell me you guys do like active polos, like golf wear polos.
1: Of course, I mean that was a, that was the biggest part of our activewear line that we sell is the the, the active polos, the active t shirts. You don't know talk about
0: right? Uh, like the like the breathable, like dry yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, dude this
1: is why. Listen to this. So I I played a lot of golf growing up when I was in my teens, and the polos. This was the reason I wanted to create our own polo was because I wanted the true classic fit in a polo, which was essentially, you know, most polos are very baggy in the arms and they just don't fit right. They look, they just hang off you completely. And I always hated the way they fit. So when I was able to create my own, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna create something that actually fits the way I want it to. And uh, the polos are, are still probably our number three best
0: seller. So, so when you think about polos, guys, understand there's Nike, obviously there's this and that. There's this company, Fuck! I can't think of the brand. I've actually bought a bunch of blanks for the Wash Lord Invitational. It's dry fit. They sell them on Amazon. It's a basic ass brand, but it's simple and clean, and, and they're, they're very good. And now you're talking about fourteen dollars instead of paying eighty-five for a Tiger Woods or Nike polo. But what he's talking about is more like a Jay Lindbergh G4, where you have that slim fit quality. They actually make a standard fit. They make a slim fit. I wear the slim when I'm going to a country club. Standard when I'm going up to a you know public club. But uh, you know, it's of course it's it's really. Important. And you know what? We're going to have a side talk about that off the interview. What's the most important aspects about the apparel industry and manufacturing that most wouldn't think about?
1: Man, you know what the whole game is? It's weird. It, it really is terms. <laughs> like, it's terms, and it's also how reliable is your QC on the clothing you're putting out through that manufacturer? Because a lot of times what we realized was that we, in the beginning, we had no QC process. Right. Like essentially stuff would come out of there and go directly to our warehouse. And then we'd find a little issues here and there with the product. And it was too late because it had already come out of there. There's no going back. And by the way, if you want to make a change after you get it in your hands, good luck on that lead time. It's going to be like six months before that turns around. So if they fucked up the stitching, you're going to have to eat that for six months and just burn through that inventory and piss off a lot of customers. So the one of the most important things that we learned the hard way was that you've got to have really really stringent qc processes and people that are checking the quality of your material as it comes out of there to make sure that when it gets to the customer they're not going to be pissed off and then you're left you know with a bunch of pissed off people but also keeping cash flow happening in the business is the most important lifeblood to the business so The way that you do that is by making amazing terms and negotiations with these manufacturers because ultimately they can all give you credit, right? It's just, do they believe in you or not? And how good is your relationship? Fortunately for us, when we started out, Matt had a relationship with a manufacturer and he gave us a really small credit line, but um, it was better than nothing at the time. And it allowed us to not have to come out of pocket, right? I mean, like I said, $3,000 was all we came out of pocket on that. And then he just, you know, our credit line just kept going up and up and up as we made more sales. So we grew with him as a partner. And now we we obviously have a bunch of different manufacturers and you have to really hedge with manufacturers because, you know, you want them to stay competitive on pricing and quality. So, yeah, I would say that the two most important things uh, as a takeaway are the terms that you negotiate. And by the way, the best terms, if you can get someone, to, if you can not pay someone for, let's just say, 30 to 60 to you know, 30, 45, 60 days. Those are great terms. A lot of these guys provide, you know, they they require cash up front, which is really tough for people starting out. So you want to try to get at least a month if you can. Even two weeks is like better than nothing. But um, yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, fuck that. I'm doing net sixty all day long, man. So having a flourishing e-commerce business, right? Have you thought about going into retail more than you are today? Like you even thought about opening a brick-and-mortar store? We just store?
1: opened our first stores. Oh, shit. Where? <laughs> so we opened two in, we opened one literally a week ago in Chicago. And we have another one opening, uh, I think, this week in Chicago. So we have two in Chicago, one that's like kind of like brick and mortar by itself building and one that's in a mall. And then we have um, one opening in San Jose, one opening at um, in D.C. and then one at the um, Del Amo Mall in South Bay uh, in L.A., so um, why did why you, know, you
0: choose why Chicago? Why did you choose Chicago?
1: It had our highest density of customers, so we just figured that you know let's go where all the you know the majority of the customers are. But um, we have a pretty big following in in Texas, Florida, California, New York, obviously all the big states. Um, but yeah, Chicago just made sense at the time. Plus, we have this uh, accelerator, this retail accelerator uh, that works with us. We, we got retail up. I'm not shitting you. In two months which is very true classic to just like go from zero to five in no time. Normally, you know, retail takes like nine months to hire and staff up and get it all. These guys that leap, they basically, they handle all the OPEX for you. They train the employees. They do all the work of designing the store. And then you just come in and make sales and they take a piece of revenue. So it's a brilliant model for companies like ours who are just trying to move at lightning speed. And that's why we were able to just open up. And next year we could probably, if we utilize them and don't do it ourselves, we could probably open up maybe 25 50 more stores just in the next year so we'll see how it goes
0: look i went to the high school with this dude named richard he's a ceo founder of fucking fashion nova you know motherfucker watch out bro because you got them fucking 30 cent fucking quality fucking dresses i'm not mad at you you know what i mean you wear it one time ig and the girls throw it away so we're wrapping up what's next for true classic and where do you see yourself in five years
1: Man, what next is the you were we're expanding international. We unloaded international a couple of months ago. It became like 30% of the business overnight. And we haven't even optimized it at all. So we haven't like created any ads that are native to you know UK, Australia, Canada, um, uh, Mexico. Like we don't have any Spanish speaking ads. Like we haven't done anything, and it's 30% of the business overnight. So that to me is a massive opportunity for us. I also see Amazon. We just started Amazon probably two weeks ago and we're already at like 15K a day. So I can see that going to 50 to 100K a day here in the next couple months. So I think there's a huge opportunity there as long as it doesn't cannibalize our website business. And then in five years, man, I hope I'm not still here. I hope I'm like (laughs) on a beach somewhere in five years because this is a lot of work, man, keeping this I mean, we're like 50 employees now. It is so much work, and there's so much going on that it's like three years is literally like 40 years in true classic time. It feels like feels like I've been doing this forever. But um, that's the real shit. In five years, what I really want to do, ultimately, joking aside, is I want to help people that are starting businesses that are on the wrong track. I want to help get them on the right track, and just really invest in people and show them that look. You can do it with no money. You can do it with just learning a few platforms. And the sky's the limit. I mean, listen, I've seen people in third world countries that live in huts, build drop shipping businesses that are doing 200, 300,000 a month, who have zero marketing experience, who are able to log into a Facebook group, learn a few things, learn how to run an ad. And here they are, you know, doing the whole arbitrage of buying and selling stuff on drop shipping and make a profit that way and turn their life around and help their village out and build something for themselves. And that really applies to absolutely anyone. There's really no excuses uh, nowadays because you have all the perfect tools to really build a big business on the backbone of no money and just hard work and grit and determination to do things the right way.
0: Guys, this dude Ryan is the GOAT because a lot of people ask me about apparel advice and stuff and this dude is talking about helping people. Not necessarily right now at the moment, maybe a few of you guys will get through the cracks, but. This is admirable, man. Um, Where should our listeners buy some of your products? Uh, Like, what would you recommend?
1: Yeah, trueclassic.com. I mean, I'd recommend uh, our traditional um, staple pack is probably our number one bestseller. Um, The activewear is phenomenal. The denim and the chinos. The underwear is actually probably a top three product for us. Um, That's selling really well. We have a lot of new products. We have button downs coming. We actually just launched button downs. It just keeps going, man. We just, we have so many products coming out, but everything's good. Everything's the same, like classic, true classic fit, um, at, at a reasonable price. And, um, you know, we keep people uh, looking good and feeling good. And that's really the mantra of true classic.
0: Jesus Christ, man. Okay. So the last question that I ask all of my guests is, do you have anything you want to ask me?
1: Man, (laughs) what's your handicap?
0: (laughs) You know what, man? My handicap as of today and just changed yesterday is 9.1. I'm a nine. I finally got into a single index in less than a year.
1: Dude, that's amazing. People don't know about golf. I, and I, I can really appreciate your journey in golf because to get where you've gotten in your handicap in the amount of time that you put into it is pretty unbelievable. And you obviously have great coaches who work on the mechanics of your swing and you're practicing a shit ton, that's really the the whole game is just like practicing and making sure that your swing fundamentals are correct. So congrats to you, man. That's, that's a great accomplishment.
0: No, thank you. I mean, you know, I got to be honest. A lot of times I give my coach the props I give Taylor made the training facility props and they say, look, we're five, 10% of it, Ben. You have to go make the shots and make them go in the hole. Um, and I'm like, no, fuck that. Because I will say this if I didn't have the amazing backing, the best people on earth were working with Tiger, working with Justin Thomas, working with Colin Moore, Kyle, Tommy Fleetwood, and all these people, Scotty Scheffler. If I didn't have the best people behind me, it wouldn't have been the same route. And you know what? We're talking about 10,000 hours. I put in 50,000 hours in different fields. And when you put in the work, it will pay off if you go after it. You know, And, and sometimes, I never understood this when I first really got in front of true professional trainers the ball is irrelevant if you're focusing on the swing like sometimes you know the swing is like okay well hey look if i'm in the plane and i'm hitting the ball all right that's important and my my swing has changed five times already just in the last like seven months and it's still not there people are like telling me hey your arm's not straight look motherfucker jack nicholas's arm wasn't straight you have to figure out where you are in the plane and getting the contact into proper ball striking and i think Once I figured out, all right, look, if I can control where the ball is going, cool. And there's going to be more adjustments to it, but it's it's been a fucking insane journey. You know, I I practice four to six times a week. I play two rounds a week. You know, it's a lot. Um, Dude, thank you so fucking much. Guys, look out, and I'm being dead serious. I don't mean to say this and, and just bogart my way into True Classic, but look out for a Ben Baller, True Classic collab, fucking BTB collab. This dude is giving up the keys to the universe, and he's just dropped so much Dude, thank you, bro. This is probably one of the best fucking interviews we've ever done.
1: No, thank you, man. Honestly, watching your journey on this podcast, I really respect the effort that you put into your podcast because most people just get on podcasts and they bullshit for an hour and they clock out. I feel like the reason you do as well as you do is because you're just being super intentional about the content that you're creating for people. And I think that your army already knows this, but... The, the kind of inspiring content that you put out for people and the lessons that these people are learning are just invaluable, man. So thank you for just being intentional about the content you create.
0: No, I appreciate it again, man. And you know, you hear that Lakey Lake music in the background. That means it's time to cut to a commercial. Got to thank Ryan again. Make sure you check out true classic. God damn. That is a fucking story guys. We'll be right back guys. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether your thing is vintage teas or recipes for ghee, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of your favorite businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll create an online store in your vibe, discover new customers, and grow the following that keeps them coming back. Shopify has all the sales channels sorted so your business keeps growing, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free libraries full of educational content, Shopify has got you every step of the way it's how every minute new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify and you will too. It's never been easier to start and grow a business. Thanks to Shopify, sell your goods. However you want, when you're ready to launch your thing into spotlight, do it with Shopify, the e-commerce platform backing millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Go on, Try Shopify free and start selling anywhere. This possibility is powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash baller. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com baller to start selling online today. Shopify.com baller, all lowercase. And we are back. I am looking at this gorgeous water. The weather is incredible here right now. It's 85. Look, I have been out here so many times in Miami, but I ain't been out here as a golfer. Came out here last time, you know, obviously, you know, for Jordan's bachelor party, Jordan went to the Dust Brothers, and I didn't get to play no golf. But I understand why Florida has the best golf in America. It's not even a joke. Right, it's it's not even comparable. I played not even a top ten course yesterday. Played Turnberry Isles, and um, I uh, played with Jr. Smith. We flew out here together for this tournament, and um, it's just ridiculous. Like the course destroys Riviera, de- de- kills sure what kills L.A. Country Club. It was just so fucking good. It was just man, it was just beautiful. And the crazy part about the whole shit is, this dude Jr. We go we we get off the plane. in the morning, get to the hotel, hit the Ritz-Carlton, and they're like, yo, it's way too early, the room ain't available, you know, whatever. So I get my coffee, he gets his coffee, he's like, fuck it, let's go hit some balls. I didn't know he has, you know, he has a few country club memberships out here. In fact, my man just bought a crib out here in Palm Beach. It's about an hour and a half away from here. So we head over to his country club, and the pro shop even destroyed every pro shop I've been to in LA, right? All the country clubs, all that. We go in, we start hitting some balls at the range. I wasn't trying to play no fucking round, okay? So I ended up buying a polo because I don't want to take all my shit out. I got my clubs. He got his clubs there at the country club. He has his locker. So we start hitting some balls. I'm hitting them okay. Had some, you know, definitely probably 50-50. 50 50 50 you know, percent were bad shots. 50% were good shots. Meanwhile, this motherfucker, J.R. Smith, who is a 1.8, so it's pretty much between a 1 and 2 handicap. He's, he's a stick. He's hitting his fucking hybrid off the grass, like 280 yards, like silly shit. Rory McElroy numbers, okay? Hitting his three wood, fucking 285 yards, just stupid shit, right? So I'm like, oh, goddamn, this is about to get nasty out here, right? So we start getting in, we go to par fucking, up. we go to the hole one, it's par four, and uh hit my first shot, take out my hybrid, I'm like, fuck it. My driver's acting funny. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of JR's first time we played together. And, um, you know, I hit that bitch dead straight. Boom, we're good. I'm on the fairway. I'm chilling. Next shot. Um, I take out my seven iron. Boom. Go to a little left. And this this course is so beautiful. There's kind of like these all these lakes and like these weird hazards, the bunkers and everything. It's Bermuda grass and it's just so well kept. I've never played on Bermuda before. And I'm kind of like in a little island to the left. So I hit this chip shot, boom, get on the green. And um, I fucking, I put that bitch in for par. And I'm like, Gucci, right? JR, this motherfucker drives the ball fucking 325 yards. Okay. He does a chip shot, gets it on the green, and then he two putts. So we're even for hole one. Okay. Next hole, par three, boom. I hit par. He hits a bogey. Then we get to the next hole, par fucking five. And I bogey the hole. He loses the ball, so he double bogeys the hole. Now, your boy is up one. After four holes, your boy, the Watch Lord, is up two strokes. I wish I had good news for you guys, but you know what? It didn't happen. <laughs> by the time we finished the round, he ended up beating me by like five, six strokes, which actually is not bad because this dude, you know what I'm saying, shot low. And... um. It's wild, man. You know, just the tempo. I, I was clubbing up even though the weather was beautiful. Had nothing to do with that. I just slowed my swing down crazy and just relied on tempo. And tempo fixed everything. But Turnberry is gorgeous. Um, I am playing the Maubon Mulligans in Miami tournament today at Miami Shores Country Club. It's not as nice of a track, but um, I can't wait to come back out here to play Calusa Pines. I'm going to play fucking... Um, um, Grove 23, there's a couple really nice courses I'm about to get it in out here And I just can't fucking wait But yes, Art Basil, there's all these events last night There was a Virgil event, there was fucking um, Dolce Gabbana parties, this Nike event There's this and that, like yo, I don't give a fuck about none of that shit I'm out here to play golf I didn't go out last night Had a little dinner with some homies Chilled out, you know I'm just vibing, looking at the view and just chilling I'm in a great mood Right and, um, Basil is actually the most busiest time of the year for Miami clubs go crazy. And I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like I ain't even tripping, pivoting to something else. There's all these crazy things going on with this Balenciaga situation. I was going to address it the last episode, but it's just like, you know, I'm like, look, fuck Balenciaga. I got a few items. Like I ain't tripping. Ain't no deep. Div- it's like, like, Oh, well, if you're quiet, that I means you're, this is no, you know, either you're, you're for or you're against, shut the fuck up, motherfucker. Don't tell me what the fuck I'm for and what I'm against. Stupid motherfucker, I'm a dad. I got better shit to be mad about. I can protect my kids from stupid ass shit and pedophilia and all that bullshit. Do I fuck with them? Fuck them. I ain't got to go out and say some stupid ass shit and waste my energy. I give motherfuckers real direction, real game. And meanwhile, Kanye West is out here. Telling people, oh, celebs are sheep, this and that. Yeah, they cancel me, all this other bullshit. Look, I don't give a fuck about conspiracy and all that other bullshit. I know fashion, homie. Don't tell me what I don't know. This motherfucker is making a speech, talking shit about Balenciaga, telling people not to wear Balenciaga and that celebrities are controlled, all this other bullshit. Meanwhile, this motherfucker is wearing a Balenciaga shoulder bag and he's wearing Balenciaga boots. People are like, oh no, those are Yeezys, fake, the logo. I don't give a fuck about the logo. I know What the fucking, what season those boots came out in? Those are Balenciaga boots. This motherfucker's telling you not to smoke cigarettes. They'll kill you while he's smoking cigarettes. I'm just using a metaphor. That's not what he did. I see my boy Omi in the Hellcat. He's fucking burning his shit. Look, I love Omi. That's my dog. But I got to let, bro, you're doing that shit for clout, bro. You're doing that shit for views and everything. And I know you're a good dude and whatever. I'm sure you don't believe, you are against pedophilia. You're a dad. But bro, why, bro? Anyways, that's my bit on that. That's done. I don't want to talk about that shit no more. I had some super followers ask me about some gifts. Had an item, I mean, a little Amazon wish list that has 10 items on there. It's on my super follower list. Uh, I don't want anything for Christmas. I don't need anything. There's shit on there for like $10. This things on there for like 70, 80 bucks. It's nothing crazy. I always give. I'm not tripping. I don't need anything. But if you're a super follower and you feel compelled to do that, cool, go ahead. As you all know, I am giving away $2,500 super rare limited edition Shang-Chi Xbox to my super followers only. I am thinking about jumping over to Instagram and doing the uh, subscribers thing. We'll figure that out. But I wanted to show love to super followers. And um, how I'm going to do that is there's a movie, and I've been following this story for a while. And there's this movie about this bear in, uh, I think, Tennessee or Kentucky. And allegedly, the bear ate $15 million for the cocaine. Yes. And for like 10, 15, 20 minutes before he died, this motherfucker was the most vicious being on earth. Most vicious animal. A motherfucker would have probably ate a dinosaur. He would have killed the T-Rex. And there is a movie based upon it. They got the dude from TikTok who does all the funny service calls, the Ikea shit with the big-ass teeth and the mustache. He's in it. This movie is going to be off the fucking chains. I remember seeing the story on this thing. Cannot wait to watch Cocaine Bear. I'm going to rent out a motherfucking theater just for super followers. And it's going to be in L.A., sorry. And if you're down to come, let me know because I'm going to watch that motherfucking movie. I am not fucking playing. That shit is crazy. It like, literally, I just cannot wait for this shit to happen. But, um, yeah, I'm here in Miami for another day and a half. It was a real quick three-day trip, but it just fucking vibes. It just, again, unmatched. I'm thinking about getting a crib out here. Golf here is just incredible. I am living the dream. Big shout out to Cash App for sponsoring my trip out here and giving me a bag to play something that I fucking love to do already. And, um, guys, I want to let you know that we shot two episodes of Par 3, my new golf show slash podcast. That will be coming soon. It stars me, Jr. Smith, and Steven Malben. Um, I've been calling him Malbon forever, but it's actually Malben. And um, it's going to be a fucking amazing show. We're going to change the game of golf, the way it's viewed and everything, and give three different perspectives. It is going to be fucking awesome. If you want to follow the Par3 podcast page, it's at Par3Podcast. I am going to make a little post and tease it. We are going to have some dope people on there. I'm not, like, it's not far-fetched. I'm pretty sure we're going to have Michael Jordan on the show. Uh, the, the goal would be to get Tiger Woods on there. But, you know, we'll have Colin Murakawa. We're going to have golfers. We're going to have coaches. We're going to be doing fucking club reviews, country club reviews, ball reviews, shoe reviews. All that shit is going to change the game. I am so fucking excited. And more importantly, it is produced by none other than, yes, your favorite. The Dust Brothers. So fucking super hyped for that. This was a great episode. Man, that interview was just so good. I want to have Ryan from True Classic come back. I got some other interviews coming up. By the way, my man Ice-T. Yes, Ice-T from Law & Order SVU. But if you know, he's a rap legend. He put me in his new gangster animated series. It is an animation comic book about gangster shit. I am the only Asian dude in there. I think it's me, him, Snoop a couple other big dogs. So be on the lookout for that. It is going to be lit. Guys, I hope you have a fucking fantastic weekend. Okay. We are doing fan questions on Monday. So submit your questions this weekend. You have until Sunday morning to submit them. Make sure you email bbdtc213 at gmail.com. Please make sure you send in some good fan questions. We are coming and closing out the year. We are literally 30 days away from the new year. Okay, guys, 30 more days and it's 2023. I hope you got your shit out of your system. Look, why the fuck you be like, oh, fuck it, I'll just wait till January 1st to start. No, start that shit now. Get a head start. You know what I mean? Get it fucking in, okay? I love you guys. Have a great weekend. Make it a great weekend. Okay, everyone? You Yeah, Lakey Lake in the background. You know what that means. That means that's au revoir farewell. I love you guys. I will see you back on Monday with fan questions. Peace.